Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. We have been studying prayer and going through Psalm 23 as our prayer of study. And um, in your bulletin today, it has uh, one direction uh, the message could have gone. Please disregard that. Let's stay in Psalm 23 just a little bit longer. And um, Psalm 23, I'll have us pray that together. And remember verse 3 where it says, He refreshes my soul. He restores my soul. We studied last week that that Hebrew word is a word of repentance. He turns me around. He brings me back. And um, how do we get clean hands? How do we have God's will done in our life? Is we need him to turn us around. We need uh, him to bring us back. As he's taking us off that path um, where we, it's leading nowhere, it's leading to a dead end, it's leading to um, our destruction or our death, as he takes us off that path and puts us on a path of righteousness, um, one of the ways that he does that is he gives us this beautiful opportunity to repent to ask for forgiveness and ask for him to change us. And repentance is, isn't just uh, being sorry for the consequence of sin. It is hating the sin that we are a part of. And that's the beautiful part of he takes us off that path. He refreshes our soul. He brings us back, and he puts us on a path of righteousness. Could we say that prayer, Psalm 23, together out loud, and then we'll, we'll close that prayer with amen? Could we do that prayer again today? It's on the screen behind me. Uh, let's pray together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And everyone who says the prayer out loud, they finish it with amen. One preacher I heard one time, he said, when we say amen, that activates the prayer for our life. Uh, amen is just a way to say, let it be in our life. That idea of God has taken us off the path we were on and now puts us on the right path, that idea of confession or repentance is, um, is beautiful to all of us. But I had the opportunity to hear a testimony a couple of weeks ago that fits right in line with God taking us off a path we were on and putting us on a righteous path. And so I'd like to invite Karen Anderson, who is a... Uh, client advocate for New Life Clinic to come on stage and give her testimony, please come on up, Miss Karen, uh, about how um, she got to experience uh, being put off of one path onto another and then to experience the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. Thank you for sharing your testimony today. Yes. So um, the first time I spoke in a large public setting like this, sharing my testimony was first service. <laughs> Um, I am not a preacher, I'm not even a teacher, I'm not a public speaker, um, I'm just a woman with a testimony that I feel 
God has given me to help other people grow closer to him. This makes me very vulnerable. I thought I wouldn't be nervous second time around. I am. <laughs> so I asked for the podium so I could hide behind it. Um, I'd like to start today by sharing with you my life verse. It comes from 1 Timothy, verses 15 and 16. Sorry, I'm not used to the thing. Um, it's Paul talking to Timothy, and he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that through me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who might believe on him and receive eternal life. Because you see, the woman who's standing before you today who has tried very, very hard her entire adult life to appear like the perfect Christian woman um, has had a secret. Uh, it's a very dark, painful, ugly secret. Uh, it's a secret I protected very well. I pushed down deep inside so that no one would know. And it's that secret that I'm going to talk to you about today. Because there's power in a secret, and it is destructive power. And I believe that that destructive power is the tool of Satan. He uses that to hold us captive, make us feel like we can't be used. And more importantly, he uses it to keep us from having the truest, most intimate relationship with Christ that we can have. So uh, I often see when dealing with darkness, I try to take myself to the scriptures, and we learn that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So over the course of 30 years, God has shown me that my darkest secret, my most destructive sin, can be used to serve him. God can take my mess and make it his message. I just have to be willing. And that's pretty miraculous that he can use us in that way. So my story is going to start back uh, when I was a senior in high school. It was 1989. My hair was only a little bit bigger than it is now back then. <laughs> um, if you're trying to figure out the math, because I know that's distracting, I'm 49 years old now, so you can focus. Um, so I, uh, I loved my upbringing. I had a wonderful upbringing. I had a wonderful family. Uh, we had our share of baggage, but I always felt safe. I always felt loved. I always felt supported in my family. Um, we grew up going to church every Sunday. I had kind of a formal Christian upbringing, um, church on Sunday, Sunday school, confirmation class, I, I knew that Jesus Christ was my savior. I very, very much valued my church family. Um, but my, my personal faith was really more a combination of kind of my formal church upbringing, what I'd learned in church, and what felt right to me. I didn't read my Bible, so as I got older, that what felt right to me um, became a little, little more heavy on that, on that balance of my personal faith. Uh, my senior year in high school was amazing. Uh, I, I had lots of friends. I was popular. I was a very good student. And just shortly before graduating, I received a full scholarship to my first choice university. I mean, life could not be any better. 
And I remember feeling invincible. I just, I felt golden. And uh, the week after graduation, uh, a group of friends, we were all going to get together. We were meeting at my best friend's house, and then we were all going to pile in cars together. We were going to go swimming. And um, so I was waiting at my friend's house for everybody to arrive, and that's when he pulled up on a motorcycle, no less. <laughs> and I had recognized him uh, from my high school. He had graduated several years before me. And uh, I just remember looking at him and thinking, that looks really fun. So by the end of that day, we were dating. By the end of the summer, we were madly in love. And when it was time for me to leave for college, we decided we just we couldn't live without each other. So he vowed that he was going to come make the five-and-a-half-hour drive to my university every other weekend, and that somehow we would make it work. And so life was still golden. Um, in October of my freshman year in college, I missed my period, which is terrifying. And I remember going to the store on campus to buy a pregnancy test. And, uh, I, you know, I, I bought several other things, so it didn't look like I was there to buy a pregnancy test. You know, gum and pencils, maybe a notebook, hoping that the cashier would just slide them across. Didn't work. <laughs> because when she rang up that pregnancy test, she looked at me, and I just felt that first huge wave of shame just wash over me. I'm very grateful that my college roommate was with me when I went back to the room to take the test and get my results. It was positive. I was pregnant, and I just couldn't believe it. I was devastated. There's not even a word to describe. I mean, devastated is the best word I've got. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, so my first phone call was to my boyfriend, who made it very clear to me that he did not want me to have this baby. I, you know, I just started school, and we'd only been dating for four months, and, uh, you know, he wasn't ready. No, we were not going to have a baby. So, okay. Um, my next phone call was to my parents, who also made it very clear they really did not want me to have a baby. Uh, they wanted me to get my education. They didn't want me to lose my scholarship. They really did not approve of my relationship with my boyfriend. They didn't, and they'd really hoped that I was going to go away to school and, and that little thing was going to kind of go away. Uh, and they knew if I had a baby with him that he'd be a part of my life forever. So, I just, I, I, was, I was unconsolable on the phone with my parents, and my mom kind of kicked into mama bear mode. She's always a very take-charge kind of woman. She knew I needed her to be that at that moment. And so she said that uh, she and my dad would pick me up the next day, and that she would make an appointment with her gynecologist and for a pregnancy test, and we'd find out, you know, if this was really what was going on. So the next day they picked me up, the next day, I went to my mom's doctor. And I, re I remember very clearly being alone in the 
uh, examination room with the doctor when she came back in to confirm, yes, I was pregnant. And I just, I, I dropped my head. I remember holding my head in my hands and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she was very calm, and in a, in a very condescending tone, she said, Karen, you're not actually thinking about having this baby, are you? You just started school. You're on scholarship. You have the rest of your life to have a baby. We can schedule this for tomorrow, and you can get on with your life. It sounded easy. And I didn't want to shame my parents, and I didn't want to upset my boyfriend. And the truth is, I didn't feel ready to have a baby. Um, so I said, okay. And four days after finding out I was pregnant, I arrived at an outpatient medical center to have an abortion. I was completely numb that day, completely emotionless. Uh, I look back now and think that I was probably in shock um, because I had, I had career plans for what I wanted to do after college and, you know, but in my heart, what I really always wanted to be was a wife and a mother, just not yet. And I did not want to have an abortion but I really didn't want to be pregnant. And that sounds like the same thing. I don't know how to describe it to you, but it just, it's not the same thing. It's very different. So I remember waiting in the waiting room for my name to be called and, and wondering what everybody else was there for. You know, did they, were they getting a cast on? Were they getting their, their appendix out? Or I don't know, something. I wasn't in an abortion clinic. I was at an outpatient center. And I, I was afraid to give anybody eye contact because I was so sure that if they looked at me, they'd know why I was there. And I just thought for sure it just showed on my face, you know, how ugly and sinful and just horrible I was. So I just sat with my head down. And when the nurse called my name, I was led to a small operating room. I was asked to lay on the table. Uh, the doctor was at the end of the table. I could see the abortion suction machine in the corner. And then all the emotions came in. And I was crying hysterically. I just, I couldn't calm down. And um, the nurse needed to calm me down. And uh, I just kept crying. And she came up and she bent down and she whispered in my ear. And she said, sweetie, do you know what we're about to do? And I was furious because I did know what we were about to do. And I didn't want to think about it. Uh, and I knew she needed my consent. And she could see how upset I was. And uh, I, I also knew that God was giving me one last chance. I could get up and I could run out of there and I could not do this thing. Um, but I didn't want to shame my parents and I didn't want to upset my boyfriend and I wasn't ready 
and I could just do this. And so I didn't stop it. And I remember the doctor saying, we've got to get on with this thing. And so the next thing I knew, they'd put the gas over my face. I was out. So I was not conscious for the procedure. Um, next thing I remember, I woke up in the recovery room area, you know, a curtain around my bed. And um, I had intense cramping. And I could feel a bunch of padding between my legs. And I was by myself. I pulled this sheet away, and I don't know what I expected, uh, but I, it frightened me because all that padding was um, soaked with blood, and it scared me. I hadn't had any you know, pre-procedure counseling to, to prepare me. I didn't know what to expect, but I wasn't expecting that. And I remember putting my hand on my stomach and thinking, it's over. But of course, it wasn't over. The, um, the days and weeks after my abortion are, are really a blur. I really don't remember much after in those days and weeks. Um, I fell into a very deep depression, but you would have never known. Uh, you see, the whole point of an abortion is it is a secret. Nobody knows you were pregnant. And nobody knows you had an abortion. So any suffering or struggling that you do, you have to do it alone. You have to do it privately. Because otherwise, your secret's going to get out. So um, I responded like many, many post-abortive women do. Uh, I was depressed. I often drank too much to kind of push those memories away. I developed an eating disorder, which was some kind of reaction to wanting to get control in my life. Um, but every morning, I got up, and I got dressed, and I put on my makeup, and I went to class. And to the outside world, I was still golden. Um, I'm going to just pause here for a minute. You know, here I am, uh, my whole sin, you know, in full view for you to see. And no masks, no secret, no major life accomplishments to distract you from my sin. And why would I do that? <laughs> it's a question that's come into my head numerous times leading up to today. Why would I tell a group of people my secret? And it's because my testimony doesn't end here. There's more. And, and actually, the rest is beautiful. It's a story of love and forgiveness and peace and freedom. But I, I want to stop, just hit pause for a minute, because I want to talk to you all as the family of Christ because I completely recognize that for some of the people in this room hearing this story, my story is very difficult to hear. It's painful. Um, and I understand that every cell in your body wants to just get up and run out of this room, but you're here, and I don't think that's a coincidence. 
And for some people, this may even be a divine appointment. The conservative statistics tell us that one out of every four women has had an abortion. And that includes women in the church. And if that many women have had an abortion, then it makes sense that many, many men in this room as well have been a part of an abortion decision. And so I want to just pause for a minute, and I, before I continue, and I would like us all to pray together. So if you wouldn't mind bowing your head. <clears throat> Lord, we come to you today grateful that we serve a loving, compassionate Savior. Lord, statistics show us that one out of every four women in this room have a story similar to mine and have experienced an abortion. That means the woman in front of us or beside us or we ourselves. Maybe it's our sister or our daughter or our best friend. Lord, thank you for making us in your image and for creating us with the ability to feel empathy for one another. Use us to show your love. Remove judgment and bitterness from our hearts so that your reflection is seen in our eyes as our hurting sisters look to us for understanding. To those in this room who have experienced an abortion, Lord, please, please let my testimony begin a healing journey for them. You have shown your unlimited patience to me. Let me be an example of your love, mercy, and forgiveness so that they believe on you. Amen. Okay, so we're going to pick up my story. It is now my junior year in college. My boyfriend and I had since broken up, and I had just met my husband, Sean, my husband today. We've been married for 27 years. And Sean had and has a very, very strong faith. And he introduced me to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, very early on in our relationship, Sean shared with me that he had made a personal commitment to Christ to not have sex outside of marriage. And although that was very difficult for us, we honored his commitment. I had told Sean I was not a virgin, but I never told him about my abortion. I, I just, I didn't know how to tell him that. And he um, has very strong and often very blunt opinions about abortion. And I, I remember one time when we were dating, kind of, I was going to tell him. And saying, so what, what do you think of women who've had an abortion? And I remember him saying, well... I wouldn't want to be them on Judgment Day. I thought, I don't want to be them on Judgment Day either. So I didn't tell them. And as our relationship developed, you know, we got closer, and I hadn't told him. And next thing I knew, we were engaged. And I hadn't told him. And then we were married. And I hadn't told him. And I consoled myself by thinking, you know, this happened before him. It didn't affect him. It would only hurt him. Um, but my abortion was still very much a part of my life. Uh, I had a very long commute to and from work. 
And when I was alone in my car, that was the time I would let myself think about it. I'd make myself think about it. I'd think about the baby. You know, how, how old was the baby now? Would the baby be now? Was it a boy or was it a girl? And I'd also make myself remember the abortion, the details of the abortion. And of course, I would remind myself how awful I was, how sinful I was. You see, I knew full well that Jesus Christ could forgive my sin. I knew he could, would, could and would forgive my abortion. But I just, I couldn't ask him for it. But I'd pour out my heart to him in that car, and I'd fully repent of my sin, not only the abortion, but the, the premarital sex that led to the abortion. Like, I fully repented. But I, I couldn't ask for forgiveness. I felt completely unworthy. And so I'd stop short of that. And, and I really felt like I needed to just live with that. But I'd go on with my routine, golden girl on the outside, but in the privacy of my own heart and my own mind, constant reminders of my sin. So uh, a couple years into our marriage, Sean and I were doing a, a couple's Bible study at our church. And it was one of those where you have a workbook and you do your homework at home and then you meet once a week, you know, as a class and go through it. And this particular week's assignment was helping your spouse to heal from their past. And I got into bed that night and I just thought, I am such a fraud. <laughs> How could Sean help me heal from my past? He doesn't even know my past. He has no idea who he's married to. And I got into bed and we turned out the lights and I started to cry. And I was trying to keep it to myself. I didn't want Sean to notice, but he did notice. And he asked me what was wrong. And I, I don't know what came over me that night, but I just thought, this is it. I'm going to tell him. And he's going to be disgusted with me. And he's going to leave me. And that's what I deserve. I deserve to be alone, and he deserves to be with someone who is worthy of him. And our marriage will just be one more consequence of my horrible sin. So I turned on the light, and I sat up, and I said, I, there's something I need to tell you. And he turned white as a ghost. And then it just all poured out, the whole story, just like I've told you. I told him everything, and then I just, I just waited for him to lay into me. But he wasn't angry. In fact, he didn't even look disappointed And I think that momentarily that night, Jesus Christ entered the face of my husband because when I looked in his eyes, all I saw was love. And that shocked me. And he told me it wasn't his place to forgive me, but if I needed forgiveness, that he offered it. And then he started talking to me about all the characters in the Bible 
like David, who had sinned horribly against God, but who God still loved. And that night changed my life. I saw through my husband the power of forgiveness, and I realized for the first time that Jesus Christ really wanted to forgive my sin, that my disobedience and not asking for it and receiving it was keeping me from truly knowing my Savior and having an experience with him. And so for the first time since that day, I found out that I was pregnant, I asked Christ for forgiveness. And the Bible talks about a peace that passes all understanding, and I can tell you I have experienced that peace. It, that night, it was literally as if this huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. And um, it's not like over the years I've forgotten, but it, that, that power of the sin was gone. Now, I had, expected, had accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior years before this, but that was the night I considered myself born again. Christ had freed me, and he freed me with love. And that freedom is available to you, too. He's just waiting for you to invite him in, to ask for forgiveness, and then he readily gives it. And most astounding is after he forgives you. The Bible tells us he forgets. It's hard for us to wrap our reins around because we remember. That's the power of Christ. It was 20 years later that I began working at New Life Clinic as a client advocate and a post-abortion counselor. Um, God continues to make my mess his message. He has uniquely gifted me with the ability to understand a woman dealing with a crisis pregnancy and also a woman struggling with the decision to have an abortion or the suffering of having had an abortion. Can you believe the miracle of what I just said? That Jesus Christ really can use all things for good for those who love him even abortion? In, um, in Genesis 50, we hear the story of Joseph, and he's talking to his brothers after they've sold him into slavery. And Joseph is now in the position to save the nation from famine. And the words that he says to his brothers are my words to the evil one. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now let me be perfectly clear. I don't believe for one minute that God intended for me to have an abortion. That would be completely contrary to his word and to his character. If I could go back in time, I would not have had an abortion in the fall of 1989 
and I would have a 30-year-old son or daughter standing beside me right now. What I do know is that Christ loves me, and Christ loves you, and that we can bring him glory, even our darkest pain and our worst sin can be used to bring him glory because he's a mighty and powerful and everlasting God. And he can heal our hearts and he can forgive our sins because he is love. So at New Life Clinic, you may be familiar with some of our services. We provide free pregnancy tests. We're with the women as they receive their results. We walk them through that process. We provide free ultrasounds. We also provide post-abortion healing. It's a, a group we meet completely confidenti confidentially. We understand the need for that. It's a really scary secret. It is terrifying to come forward. But we meet in a small group setting um, and we work through a curriculum and we begin that process of healing. I strongly encourage you, if you have had this experience, to reach out. I didn't think that the peace that passes all understanding was available to me. I didn't think that that was possible. And it has been one of the greatest honors of my life to be able to walk alongside other women and ex experience that peace. So there's information about these groups. We have them in the women's restrooms on the inside of the door. So nobody will know that you get the information. Uh, there's a phone number to call at the clinic. And when you call, they'll put you in contact with me or another woman in our clinic who also works in this ministry. And maybe you just want to, for the first time, talk to somebody about it. And that's great, and we'll be available. Um, or maybe you'd like to start this healing process and join a group, so I invite you to do that. So thank you again for having me, and God bless you. So where do we go from here? After hearing a testimony and hearing someone else's sin exposed, a confession, and that uh, brings to mind our own sin and our own need for confession, where do we go? We run to Christ. We run to the light. We turn to Jesus Christ and we remember the forgiveness he gives us on the cross. We turn to Christ and we receive the love that only he can give. And with grateful hearts, we can receive it, and we can find it. Jesus gives us a, a time of remembrance that is even more powerful than what our sin is, and that's in communion. And this is one of the ways that he gives us to run to him, to turn to him. There are some preachers that preach that Jesus Christ himself actually comes down and into the bread and the cup. There are other preachers that talk about how spiritually, as we participate in communion, we are lifted to Jesus at the right hand of God, 
And Romans 8 says, He is interceding for us. Jesus is at the right hand of God praying for you and me. And during communion, some preachers say, we are lifted into that presence and into that prayer. What, we, what he's given us is this memorial where as we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we remember the sacrifice he made on the cross. And just like in other forms of worship, we are connected spiritually to Christ. And as we eat that bread, we remember that he died for us. He loved us so much, he died for us. As we take that cup, we remember that we are under a new covenant, and it is a covenant of forgiveness, this relationship contract where God says, I will be faithful even when you are not faithful, and I will give you love, and I will give you grace, and I will give you forgiveness. Just run to me. And that's what we get to do in communion. We get to run to Christ. Allow me to pray for our communion time, and then as you participate in communion, run to him. Seek out his grace and love and forgiveness, and he can even begin your peace and healing process in this moment. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the testimonies of the saints you have given us for centuries, and even now the testimony that Karen has given us about how you offer forgiveness, how you take us off one path and set us on a new one, one we wouldn't even expect, but it's all through Jesus Christ that you do it. Thank you for this time where we remember the forgiveness he offers us. We remember that he died to give us forgiveness. And we remember he's even at the right hand of God forgiving us in prayer. Lord, help us to remember that as we participate in communion today. And help that give us spiritual motivation and spiritual energy. Lift our spirits all through today and into this week as we take that gospel message to others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.